Volume Three, Chapter Two of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, The Pilot Balloon. A great many notes in Tressel's hieroglyphic writing were flying about. Tressel was in his element. He professed to be acquainted with all the political moves, to tap all the secret wires and though a radical to have private prompt and trustworthy information as to the doings in the tory camp of course he knew all about the failure of lord twyford's efforts to educate his party he told bellarmin that there would very probably be a split in the cabinet and that lord twyford was trying to make up his mind that his conscience required him to resign lord twyford was rather famous for breaking up cabinets by resigning at some critical juncture i have written to twyford giving various very good reasons against such a course for it wouldn't suit our game wrote the genial cynic to bellarmin lucifer is simply wild to get in and will certainly go mad if he is not allowed to make a move he mustn't rush his fence and i mean to make the preliminary move myself by bringing forward at once my stock motion about the house of lords which i had intended to drop out this year in view of more definite measures i saw lucifer yesterday in a great state at the idea of being deserted by the whigs and after all thrown over by your party i told him that i believed in a party militant and that he need not look after saxon for it was of no use what i hold to is this lucifer's old colleagues and many of our lot are traitors eagerly looking for some plan which will bring them back into office they ought at once to be blooded with the resolution pledging them the tories cannot and will not reform the lords very possibly twyford might want to try but he could not carry his party or the whigs their game is the integrity of the constitution to shilly-shally with you progressives and to throw you a few crumbs but you will be a fool if you accept them tressel had for a long time taken the house of lords into his particular care regularly every year he brought forward a motion denouncing it as an anomaly and inviting the house of commons to say that the time had come when the hereditary principle in legislation ought no longer to be permitted to prevail tressel puzzled people with his motion everyone knew that he did not want to be taken into an administration and yet was it possible to suppose that he was really in earnest about his annual motion or about anything else tressel's motion was to come before the house of commons on tuesday tuesday is the day set apart by parliamentary procedure for the motions of private members as the phrase is members who do not belong to the administration or it may be added to the front bench of opposition many a young reputation has been made by a tuesday motion many an ambitious light has been snuffed out some fatal tuesday by the peremptory action of a count a capable man who has convictions and who thinks he sees his way to securing a parliamentary position generally ties himself to his tuesday motion as sinbad tied himself to the lump of meat in order thereby to be lifted to some desirable elevation the man with convictions wants his measure to be so lifted 
the other man wants the lift for himself the man with convictions has gained his end when some government takes up his motion the other man when some government takes up himself in either case the man brings on his motion once in every session year after year until something comes of it many a motion grows upon the house by this familiarizing yearly process of presentation first it is a phantom a theory a dream a crotchet then it solidifies assumes shape and proportion and is seen to be real and practicable then comes a day when the author of the motion joyfully withdraws it having received at last the long-desired and welcome assurance of the government that they will take charge of it themselves and next it is an act of parliament and the man is a heretic a heathen a turk who dares from that time forth to say that any country could be worthy of the name of civilization which did not enjoy the blessing of such an enactment sometimes the author of the annual motion is absorbed into the government and rolled round in administration's diurnal course and the motion is bequeathed to some other aspirant or it may be is heard of no more these are the successes personal and political of the tuesday motions the successes are rare far apart far shining who shall tell the sad story of the failures who shall tell of the long speeches carefully prepared and elaborately rehearsed rehearsed it may even be before a select circle of friends invited and expected to admire and which were snatched away in their beauty's bloom on the floor of the house of commons by the abhorrent shears of a count who shall tell of the many tuesday motions which were each to have made its author a lion but which only made him a bore the philosophic mind ought to look with curious and compassionate interest on each tuesday's motion and on him who ventures to attach himself to its fate that fate seems sometimes to follow mere caprice in deciding what to do with the man whether to make of him a political idol or only a parliamentary log of wood the ladies gallery was always full when tressel was going to speak it was crowded this evening not that the ladies who generally frequented the gallery were great admirers of tressel the majority of the women who attend the debates in the house seem somehow to be generally the wives sisters and daughters of tories but even if they detested tressel they found him amusing all the same mr samuelson the doorkeeper of the ladies gallery had a hard time of it now and then mr samuelson was a tall bland somewhat melancholy man he had an air of mild deprecation he was civil by nature and it was a struggle against his feelings when he was compelled to be peremptory with ladies in the interests of order and in obedience to the strict injunction of his superiors for the dames and demoiselles in the gallery the dames more especially will talk and are often very demonstrative solemn warning placards exhibiting the word silence admonish the ladies to be chary even of whisper but the ladies are not obedient they will chatter to each other they will allow members to hang over the backs of their chairs and talk with them perhaps who knows even flirt with them some of them are apt to lose their heads when an exciting division takes place and to shout amid the shouting crew as cleveland the pirate in scott's romance tells his loved one that he shall soon have to do mr samuelson remonstrates ladies i must ask you to keep silence 
madame you really must not make such a noise the sergeant-at-arms has just sent up to say that it must not go on but of what avail such platonic remonstrance mr samuelson can't drag a lady body and bones out of the gallery he can't put a gag into her mouth or a padlock on her lips he can't inflict any manner of condign punishment on her and the ladies do not pay much attention to his efforts at the maintenance of discipline a momentary lull is all he can ever hope to bring about so he goes through life with a sort of deadened deprecatory distressed air on his face of benevolent appeal seem to be inscrolled the words these women what can one do bellarmin was giving a little dinner that night within the precincts of the house to mary beaton lady saxon sir victor falcon and two or three other friends the idea of the dinner had originated with lady saxon she said she had never dined in the house of commons and people told her it was getting to be the thing now for women to dine there and she wished someone would ask her and bellarmin delightedly became the someone and asked her then at a ladies night of the gala club in the impulse of the moment he asked mary and she seemed pleased as a schoolgirl might be with the thought of an unfamiliar enjoyment and experience so bellarmin made his arrangements well in advance the afternoon of Tressel's motion was chosen, and the places were found for the ladies in the gallery. Mary had been more than once offered a place in the speaker's own gallery, but it did not amuse her nearly so much to be there as to be in the public gallery consecrated to and bearing the name of the ladies. There was a look of girlish expectation on her face as she got out of the carriage in the quiet little courtyard of the ladies' gallery and greeted Bellarmin who was standing at the oak door to receive her her manner was more kind and cordial to him than it had altogether been of late and the young man felt a sense of peace and satisfaction steal over his soul he would not have her go to the gallery yet tressel would not begin for a while and there was a little cloistral garden on the side of the house of lords which he wanted to show her and there was the window on the great staircase with the inscription on brass setting forth how the standard weights and measures of england were buried there and there were some frescoes and many other interesting things which could only be seen properly by daylight so they wandered under gothic arches through still grey courts where only a stray policeman lingered or some official with his black bag passed into one of the offices or an unsociable member taking a solitary stroll doffed his hat and cast a curious glance at bellarmin whom of course every one knew and his steward princess these more secluded precincts of the house of commons which are so little known and frequented have a strangely tranquillizing effect on overwrought nerves the very suddenness of the contrast seems to intensify the feeling of tranquillity and it is difficult to believe that a few paces this way or that a few stairs surmounted a few corridors passed and one is in all the clatter and bustle of palace yard and all the life and movement of the lobbies besides the ladies who were to dine with bellarmin lady mavis redhouse was in the gallery and madame spinola and jenny rivers had somehow managed to secure places mrs rivers had heard about bellarmin's dinner and was wondering whether he would have the heart not to bid her to the feast and whether she would have to be content with such mild fare as might be served her 
in the little sitting-room appropriated to the ladies there was a buzz of impatient whisper people were saying that it was not going to be an amusing night after all and mr samuelson was gliding round behind the chairs giving polite little bits of information concerning the orator who was up and who sat down as mary came in and blandly answering questions as to the probable business of the evening one thing the ladies who were familiar with the place felt certain of was that the house would not be counted while tressel himself was speaking whatever might be the fate of the motion when his speech was over on this particular evening the house was more crowded than was usual even for a speech of tressel's serious men who had been counted out again and again upon some motion whereon they had set their hearts wondered sadly at the perversity and the levity of the house of commons but came down themselves all the same to listen to tressel tressel's speech was full of humour drollery and odd quaint hits one little trick of surprise which he had was to reach what seemed to be a climax of satire or caricature and then as by a sudden afterthought capped the climax with some utterly unexpected extravagance long as the house was familiar with tressel it never yet could forecast the moment when this rhetorical artifice was about to be played off and it was always taken with a fresh and ingenious surprise of course tressel did not go deep into things that was not his way he did not care about it he left that sort of work to others who had a taste for it but there was no man who could touch off the superficial absurdities of an anomalous institution or system as tressel could it was hard not to think ridiculous in itself and in its essence anything upon which tressel was for the moment casting ridicule in this instance the institution was even in the opinion of its best friends only to be secured against ridicule by the plea not of sanctuary but of sanctity this time tressel started a new view of the absurdity of the principle of hereditary legislation he dwelt on the wrong it inflicted on some of the hereditary legislators he painted an amusing picture of a man of genius energy and eloquence a man born for political life and political power who was making a great career for himself in the house of commons when suddenly his father dies and the unfortunate heir is condemned to what tressel called penal servitude for life in the house of lords his career is cut short in a moment for what scope has he in the house of lords who minds anything said by anybody in the house of lords fancy a chamber of legislation about whose divisions on the rare occasions when divisions do take place nobody in or out of parliament cares three rows of pins demosthenes himself couldn't be really eloquent in such an assembly at the very best he could only be academical he couldn't indulge in invective the house of lords of our time would be scandalized at invective only the mildest of satirical jokes would suit the atmosphere of the place i sometimes think tressel declared with a shudder yes mr speaker with a positive shudder that only the merest accident saved me me myself from being in succession to a seat in the house of lords lady mavis redhouse found her tory patience utterly failing her as tressel went on oh the wretch the odious vile creature she was heard to ejaculate at short intervals mr samuelson craned over the heads and backs of rows of ladies 
and implored her to be silent. She tossed her head and went on as before. As Tressel did not stop, she suddenly jumped up from her chair, turned her back upon the orator and the house, and began an animated conversation on the wickedness and vulgarity of radicals in general with a grim dowager who had a place behind her. Mr. Samuelson thought it best to be out of the way while this dialogue was going on, feeling all too keenly that he was powerless to silence it, and so he betook himself to the little antechamber which is set apart for him and occupied himself in imaginary tasks. But he was not fated to have rest even there. Madame Spinola, who adored Tressel, stopped on her way as she passed wrathfully from the gallery, looked in upon him, and asked him in an angry tone, "'I wonder, Mr. Samuelson, if the wife of some radical member from the provinces were going on in the way that Lady Mavis Redhouse is doing, would you be quite so patient as you have shown yourself to her?' "'I have remonstrated with her ladyship. I do assure you I have, madame. I try to be perfectly impartial, madame. I do indeed.' but what can one do with Lady Mavis? Now I ask you, madame, what can one do with her? I should know what to do with her, madame Spinola replied with a laugh and a scornful toss of the head and a wrathful shake of the skirts, and she left the unhappy Samuelson in deepened distress. Her last declaration was not of any practical advantage to him, for she had not deigned to tell him what it was that she would have done to Lady Mavis, he was thinking sadly of this at the time. It is all very well, he thought to himself, even said to himself, but these ladies don't help me. That lady didn't help me. She didn't even tell me what she would have done to Lady Mavis, and I am sure I don't know what to do. The house did not attach any importance to Tressel's motion. It was only his way, an odd clever fellow, Tressel. Pity he could never be in earnest. Therefore, most persons regarded the interest of the evening as over when Tressel had made his amusing speech. Of course, the Treasury bench would not take any serious notice of it. Honest Tories said, just a few good-humoured words, treating the whole thing as lightly as possible, and then a division and away to dinner. Pity de Carmel was not alive and in that house. No one was able to chaff Tressel so cleverly and so pleasantly as de Carmel used to do but the thing would be easily dealt with anyhow, and nothing could come of it. Bellarmine did not feel so well assured. The warnings of Sir Victor Champion weighed on his mind. He leaned forward to catch every word of the reply from the Treasury bench, and he saw that Champion had settled down in his seat on the front opposition bench, evidently expectant of something to come. The minister who rose to reply was Sir Rowland Chase, the sudden translation or apotheosis of de carmel to the house of lords some little time before his death had brought sir rowland chase to the front it could not be called the leadership of the house of commons sir rowland was a country squire still young in the political sense and in whom providence in its inscrutable wisdom had permitted to combine all the narrow-mindedness retained by oxford with all the narrow-mindedness boasted by the after-dinner speakers at the annual agricultural show of his native county it was not that sir rowland chase had any deep-rooted convictions in statesmanship and political philosophy it was only that he had but one set of ideas 
and he could not see his way into any other sir rowland therefore blundered along dismally while his party seemed still uncertain about running with the hare and holding with the hounds that is while it was still uncertain whether it would not try to dish or euchre sir victor champion by going in boldly for indefinite promise of reform under the inspiration of tory democracy now however that the influence of the marquis of bosworth had prevailed and the words no surrender had been passed round as the motto of the conservative government sir rowland saw his way and was happy no one could say jamais to any political demand with a lighter heart or clearer conscience or an intellect more stolidly convinced now had come his first opportunity of saying jamais and he rose to the occasion with a proud spirit the spirit of twelve generations or so of unideated toryism jamais that was all about it never the government would never give the slightest encouragement or countenance to any proposal for change in the constitution of the house of lords come the proposition from whom it might and sir rowland looked sternly across the table at the front bench of opposition the times did not call for change the one desire the one determination of the men on whom alone england could rely was that we must hold fast to our long-cherished english institutions these institutions had been created for us by sir rowland was very near saying the wisdom of our ancestors but he checked himself on the edge having a vague fear that if he used that time-honoured expression some irreverent laughter might be heard from below the gangway on the opposition side the times were full of warning and of danger look at france look at socialism in germany in chicago no mr speaker the government had no answer to make to a motion of this kind ironical cries of hear hear from tressel no answer but the announcement of their stern and irrevocable determination to resist all further changes in the constitution of the country and hold fast by the throne the altar the integrity of the constitution and the house of lords all as by law established sir rowland panted and looked round to his colleagues as one who would say i think i have done it now would sir victor champion get up every eye was turned on him lady saxon peered down intently from her corner through the grating as if she would have influenced him magnetically by her eyes mary too felt nervous and excited and there was a moment's pause in the movement of the house sir victor sat still he slightly shrugged his shoulders and cast a look at bellarmin which clearly meant there i told you so no one seemed to have made up his mind to say anything and the speaker was actually about to put the question from the chair when bellarmin leaped to his feet sir victor's glance had fired him sir victor was right lord twyford had been right in the information he had given as to his chief's unbending obstinacy the government had determined on a policy of sheer stolid immovable toryism they had gone back in spirit to the days of eldon and wetherell and bellarmin and his friends had been quietly ignored coolly left out of the reckoning these thoughts flushed the young man's face as he sprang to his feet and to the surprise of all the steady and old-fashioned tories proceeded to denounce to satirize to heap scorn upon the declaration of the policy of the government 
the cheers of the liberals rent the air as bellarmin poured out his flood of angry eloquence the cheers penetrated the distant recesses of library and dining-rooms and tea-room and smoking-rooms bellarmin boldly accused the ministry of having betrayed and deceived the best men of their party the men who alone had made conservative administration possible the men who had always held that the only true conservatism was that which averted violent change by a policy of steady well-ordered progress did the right honorable gentleman really believe that the young and active and educated members of his party would follow him in a policy of mere stolid negation did he suppose they would accept with servile acquiescence his futile profession of faith in political finality where had the right honorable gentleman been lately staying was it sleepy hollow every one knew by the way that sir rowland chase had been lately visiting the marquis of bosworth and therefore this hit told did he not observe that changes had been taking place during the last twenty years or so how long did he think the firmest institution in the country would last if every government were to announce that no proposal would be listened to which aimed at any change in its system and its organization the right honorable gentleman was a representative in that house of one of the great universities was it possible that he had really not known of had not observed not heard of the changes which that university had made in its whole organization to meet the demands of a growing and changing civilization oh yes after what they had just heard the house of commons was safe in assuming that the right honorable gentleman knew nothing of all that had been going on in his own university if the decision he announced was really the decision the mature and deliberate decision of the present administration then the country could only assume that they had deliberately abdicated all the true functions of government and the sooner they abdicated the seat of government as well the better it would be for their own reputation for the peace of the kingdom and even for the safety of that very institution which they professed to guard but which they were blindly involving in their own destruction bellarmin's was a very pretty piece of invective enlivened and ornamented by many passing touches of sarcasm and by telling personal allusions the young man was fiercely in earnest and the house knew it lady saxon knew it also she beamed with a sort of patronizing triumph and she whispered to mary who sat next to her i have been working him round to this for a long time i knew that i should succeed in the end mary's hands were clenched tightly together in her lap she had been intensely interested even agitated during bellarmin's speech her whole heart had gone out to him she had grown very pale in her excitement and she became conscious of it herself and told herself that she had always wanted bellarmin to be on champion's side now she felt a throb of revulsion almost of indignation she did not answer lady saxon but a wave of color overspread her face why should lady saxon assume that it was her influence which had done the work of conversion that it was she who had brought bellarmin round she and not the righteousness of the cause then quietly arose sir victor champion his manner was studiously serene and bland his habitual impulsiveness seemed to have been reduced under complete control 
he did not mean to make a speech he said he only rose to congratulate the conservative party and the country on the fact that the honorable gentleman who had just sat down had proved that conservatism was still a living germ and not the dry husk of a withered colonel he was always glad should always be glad to cooperate with conservatives in any well-considered scheme of needed reform but with the present government of course no cooperation was possible after the announcement which had just been made sir victor complimented bellarmin on his sentiments and his speech dismissed the government with a cool and quiet contempt and did not say a single word which could commit himself one way or the other to any scheme of policy concerning the house of lords it was observed by many shrewd listeners that sir victor dwelt with emphasis on the importance of the part which true conservatism could always play in the politics of a country like england and the high consideration which he a radical professed to have for conservative cooperation next time the liberals come in men whispered champion will give a place in his cabinet to young bellarmin men in the house of commons soon get into the habit of regarding politics in this concrete sort of way the first thing which occurs to them is not how this or that measure or change of government will affect the public weal but who is likely to be brought in from the outer circle and made a member of this or that administration then the division was taken and tressel of course was left with a small minority and members were pleased to find that they were yet in good time to dress for dinner you have done well sir victor said laying his hand with a kindly fatherly sort of touch on bellarmin's shoulder as they were passing out i liked your speech very much and the country will like it the future of england is with you young men you have now taken your proper place he did not say one single word to remind bellarmin that his warning about the new policy of the government had come true but bellarmin was thinking of it all the same and his proud and wounded heart was touched and soothed by the words of the great liberal statesman as he passed through one of the corridors he heard a woman's voice with a strong american accent say i thought mr bellarmin's speech was just splendid but why did people tell me he was a conservative the talk of the lobbies was in fact that young bellarmin had gone right over to the radicals some sturdy old tories said they always knew it would be so told you so sir all along he ought to be pitched out of the carlton in the direction of the devonshire end of volume three chapter two